Extraordinary districts in extraordinary times. Hi, this is Karen Chenoweth. My colleague Tanji Reed Marshall was unable to join us today, but she'll be back next week. We're from the Education Trust, a national education advocacy organization that works to ensure that all children get a great education, no matter what their background. In this podcast, we talk with educators we know are thoughtful to hear how they are meeting the unprecedented challenge of educating children during the twin crises of a worldwide pandemic and a national reckoning over deeply entrenched racial injustice. In the spring of 2020, we talked with Melinda Young, superintendent of Steubenville City Public Schools in Ohio, and Lynette Gorman, principal of Steubenville's West Elementary School. Steubenville is one of the cities that has been decimated by the loss of manufacturing over the past few decades and has one of the highest rates of poverty in Ohio. But its students achieve at rates comparable to much wealthier school districts. I have long found the educators in Steubenville to be worth listening to. When we last talked, educators were planning on as normal a return to school as possible. Over the summer, they laid out an ambitious plan that allowed families to choose either all remote, all full-time in school, or hybrid, where school students are in school buildings some of the time. So we're back to hear how that's going. Today, Ms. Young and Ms. Gorman are joined by the principal of Steubenville High School, Ted Gorman, chair of the English department, Sherry Medcalf third grade teacher Marcy Govey, and two high school seniors, Gabriella Carocci and Mary Miller. I'm excited to talk with all of you in this first podcast of 2021. Let's start with the students, Gabriella and Mary. I'm sure this isn't how you thought your senior year would be. No, <laughs> no, it isn't. <laughs> so so which did you, what did you decide to do in terms of attending school in person or remotely? I decided to be in person the entire time because I thought that that would be the most beneficial for me. And what about you, Mary? I also decided to be in person for most of school because I learn better when I am able to see my teacher in person and ask them questions and like nothing happens like, you know, technical difficulties can happen if you're online. So did most of your friends make the, the same choice? Um, I would have to say that most of my friends did make the choice to come um, in person, but a few did stay at home. I will say that it's been hard to stay in connection with my friends who have stayed at home because I don't see them around often. And I feel like some of my friendships have like slipped away from me because I can't see some of my friends, which is really sad because it's my senior year. Yeah, so much of high school friendships are passing in the hallways and, and eating lunch and so forth. What about you, Gabriella? Are your friends, maybe your friends are the same group, I don't know, but um, did your friends mostly decide to, to stay in, in, uh, in person? 
At the beginning of the year, yeah, most of my friends decided to stay in person. But then after Thanksgiving break and Christmas break, I saw a lot more people starting to go online. And it really caused like a barrier between my friendships. So like I feel myself not communicating to my other like classmates as much. So so what caused them to to kind of pull back from in person? I think the biggest was risk of exposure, but at the same time, we have our school system has done a really, really good job of keeping the most safety as possible within the school. So I don't think that would be a big problem, but I think a lot of them are just scared to like pass it on to their family members. And have fam have you heard stories about family members getting sick? I have, yes. Actually in my family it has happened as well. So like I could see where the concerns come from. What about you, Mary? Have have members of your family become sick or or friends? I've had friends who become sick and I've gotten COVID as well as like distant family members. No one like really close to me because my family is really cautious and they tend to keep really close knit and take all the precautions. And have you been able to take all the classes you wanted or were there were there some classes that just couldn't be offered this year? No, we were able to take all of the classes we wanted this year. The school did a really good job of making sure that all of the classes were still available. Like we were still able to fully participate in the College Credit Plus program, which was amazing that we still get to carry that on, even though that we can't really have a lot of the teachers from the college coming in. It was a lot of online, but at the same time, we got a really good education from it. And Mary, were you able to get all your classes? Um, yes, I'm also in the College Credit Plus program, and I was really happy because at the beginning of this whole um, lockdown and quarantine when it first happened, uh, I did miss out on co- some college classes, but I ended up being able to take them when we came back, showing that like the school was really like prepared and trying to help us be able to graduate with our associate's degree at the end of the year. So are you both graduating with associate's degrees? Yes. Yes. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I want to I move to the teachers. Are you, um, are you teaching both remote and in person at the same time, um, Ms. Metcalf? Yes. I'm, um, the students are in the classroom. The majority are in the classroom. And then I live stream so that the students at home hear the same lecture, participate in the same activities. Um, So, yes. And, I mean, this has been a sticking point for a lot of teachers around the country. Um, Chicago teachers in particular have said they will not do both at the same time. They can't do in-person and uh, online instruction at the same time that it's just more than they can manage, um, but you found it to be manageable. Well, and in the beginning, doing like videos to send to the remote students, that seemed to be time consuming. It was much easier to have, it's much easier to have the students in the classroom. And so I opted to live stream so that I, I know that there's a consistency in the learning um, between the few that may be at home because they're quarantined or 
whatever the case may be, that they can get the same information without question. What about you, Ms. Govey? Are you finding the same thing? Yes, I am teaching both online and in person. And um, I only have a few. The majority of my students are in the classroom. But I'm also live streaming because, you know, it's really important for me to have those online learners be part of our classroom community. I feel like, you know, I don't want them to miss out on that experience. I want them to be like they're in the classroom with us at all times. So I am streaming live so that they're getting the same um, the same education as the students that are sitting in the classroom. Um, so it's, it's going well. It was a challenge at first, just technology, you know, using new technology, but we've been really prepared and we were able to take classes on Google Classroom and um, administration has been really supportive in that area. So um, I definitely think you can teach an old dog new tricks. Um, I feel very comfortable in Google Classroom now and it's actually made teaching somewhat more easy for me. And yes, you do have to manage your time though when you're teaching both online and in the classroom, but it is doable. So are you, do, do you teachers, um, do you feel that students are learning as much as they might have if they were all in person or is there some diminishment but it's not such a big deal. I mean, like, how do you, how are you thinking about that? Are you thinking that students are learning as much as normal, whatever normal is? Well, as much as um, Google Classroom has helped us and, um, you know, like group work, I can break the students into breakout rooms and even have them involved with the students in the class to have everyone on Google um, meet and break everyone into so they're in groups, um, there's still an element that's missing when they're not in the classroom. Because, um, I mean, body language says something. You know, as a teacher, I can see when a student's confused. or And that's hard to see when I'm only seeing from, you know, the head up. I, I don't see the fidgeting of the hands and, and that type of thing. So um, we're doing the best we can. Um, I know there have been some great uh, teachers that have been, that have used technology. I, I think of someone like Mr. Rogers. <laughs> that was great. Um, and everybody learned from him. But there's a difference between, I mean, we all wanted to be there with him. And we were stuck in our rooms watching him on television. And so I'm trying to get my students to want to be here, to be part of the classroom, because they're in, I have to make their input important to the overall class. And so if each student feels like they're a viable part of the class, that they need to be here, they're less likely to find some excuse not to be, that you know they want to be here. Uh, to be able to ask the teacher, like Mary had mentioned, to be able to stay after, maybe ask the teacher a question where, in technology, they have to either email or send, and they may not get the answer immediately while it's on their mind. So how do you do that? How, how are you trying to, how are you engaging your students in a way that makes them want to be there? And, and I'm going to be asking the students. 
For example, in the poetry class, I had presentations done. So uh, the ones that were at home had to do videos that I could watch. And But as far as engaging with one another, like I mentioned, uh, breaking them out into breakout rooms and they're with students or sharing a Google Doc so they're working with other people at the same time incorporates them into the classroom. It's still different because, like I mentioned before, I'm not seeing body language. I'm not seeing the one that's being distracted looking at something else. Um, I'd much rather have them here. And I think that seems to be the way most of my students are. They want to be here. I have very few that are online. Um, and so I, you know, we're doing our best to engage, whether it's um, like in the British Lit class that we've just started, we're doing a, a Google Earth and we're taking a virtual trip. Um, and so it's different when they have to do it on their own at home when we are doing it corporately in the classroom. What about you, Ms. Govey? Are you finding that you're able to keep the remote students engaged? Yeah, I mean, of course, like Ms. Mick have said, I definitely would rather have them all in the classroom because I do feel that um, you're learning best when you're in with your peers and, you know, you're face-to-face with your with, with a teacher. Um, but the nice thing is um, when my students are live, they love, to, you know, I take the laptop and they love to sit with their classmates and, you know, I, I love hearing, you know, my students are trying to solve problems with the online learners. I'm hearing that academic language. We're really trying our best to make them feel like they are actually, you know, just sitting in that classroom. And, um, you know, it is a challenge sometimes to, to make sure, you know, are they fully understanding what we're presenting? But, you know, that's where I kind of reach out to parents and I, and I say, you know, I can't, they can email me, I can have separate Zoom sessions, you know, if a child is struggling. Um, So that's kind of where I'm at with it, um, you know, with my online learners. But um, I feel like, you know, they're engaged um, and they're loving learning with their peers since they can't be with them right now. And so you're at the third grade level. Um, Are you... Are, are third graders expected to be in class like all day the way, or how, how does that work? No. So right now I'm streaming, um, reading is in the morning and math is in the morning. So they stream live with me uh, for reading and then we take a little break and then they, they, they can finish up any work, um, ask me any questions, and then they'll come back on a little bit later in the morning for math and they'll stream live with me for math. And then in the afternoon, I do have all my assignments on Google Classroom. So for the afternoon, you know, they are working um, on the other subjects. And then, you know, if there's something special we're doing in class, then I'll have them zoom in in the afternoon. So it's not like they're on there for six hours straight or anything like that. Try, I try to make it manageable because they are third graders. So, um, you know, I have young, a young son too. So I know his attention span, you know, is he's not going to be able to sit there for three hours in a row. So I try to make it in small increments, you know, shorter increments, give them a break, have them come back on. And then the afternoons, they can work on their assignments and then they can uh, Zoom me personally if they have questions or email me or call me. So, so, so it's, it's a, 
it's flexible, and it sounds as if you made a lot of the decisions on on the scheduling. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely um, had some input from parents. You know, um, was it too early? Is it too? You know, am I? Um, I, I actually talked to one dad, and I said, "Am I giving too much?" Because you know, this is uncharted water for us, you know? So it was nice to hear two parents that I have online. They both have given me some really great feedback. Am I giving too much work online? Am I not getting enough? Do they feel like their their child is grasping the concepts? So I've gotten some really good feedback from parents that I've been able then to apply and adjust my lessons or tweak what I'm doing. I want to move up the level to to the principal, uh, to the principals. Uh, Ms. Gorman, what percentage of your students are in person? Oh my gosh, probably the majority. I probably have one percent that are currently remote. Most of our students are here face to face five full days, so we're lucky in that respect. Wow. Uh, what about you, Mr. Gorman? You know, we before Christmas we were about fifty percent, maybe a little, little more than fifty percent of of students that were in person learning. And uh, as we come back from the the, the holiday break, uh, we looked at uh, reports and different things like that. We're trying to get more and more students. We're calling our guidance, are working uh, with with the parents and trying to get the students back. As you heard heard from the the teachers and also the students, how important it is to to come in person every single day and, and to learn that way. So we are, we are encouraging students because even some of the students that were not as successful in the past, again, they're struggling at home, trying to do the, do the learning at home. And even with coming into live, live sessions, they're, they're not getting that, uh, I guess, a true learning. It's, it's a little more difficult for them. Uh, so we're trying to get those students and, and just, again, encouraging them, come back. It's a safe environment. The school is really, in our opinion, the safest place that you can be. So have you have you been able to do contact tracing or the or has the local health department done contact tracing on any cases that have emerged or maybe no maybe no cases have emerged? Again, as, as we get cases as, as COVID, as, as we know, and just nationwide, worldwide, wide, that it's just. Uh, it is spreading, and uh, as we as we get those cases, we do the contact tracing. Uh, the governor of Ohio has uh, on December thirtieth has has lightened the, the the contact tracing. If we're practicing the social distancing and also the mask wearing and the you know washing the the hands and all of those different things that we need to do uh, to again to, to keep the virus away from us, uh, if we're doing those things, we are. Again, we don't have to do as much contact tracing in the schools. So that was just that something new that the that the, our governor tweeted out on um, December thirtieth. He sends his messages by tweet. <laughs> well, he had a conference, then he tweets it. He retweets it out. Okay. That's what he does. <laughs> well, and I read it on Twitter, so that was <laughs> that was good enough for me. Okay, um, Ms. Young. Uh, you're you've got the big picture. So we've we've started. You know, at the at the learner level, you've, you have to keep um, sort of the entire picture of the district in your, in your purview. How are you thinking about the rising case levels of Ohio, of Jefferson County, of, um, of the country, particularly with this new variant that is apparently more transmissible? 
Um, again, we all feel, um, you know, from the teachers to the parents that the safest place for the students is actually at school because we are practicing social distance. They are wearing their mask. We are reminding them to constantly wash their hands. So we really feel that we provide that service for that six and a half hours that the students are really safe with us. And um, getting back to DeWine and him changing his mind um, in schools, what we had to do um, prior to um, him making, um, you know, his new announcement on the 30th was if a student sat in front of you on either side of you or behind you, we had to quarantine them for between 10 and 14 days. Well, now if we're practicing the social distancing and both students are masked, we don't need to do that. And we're actually hoping that at the middle school and high school level, that'll get more students to come back to school because I know it might sound a little crazy, but families didn't want their children to actually be quarantined because they were sitting in front of somebody. Um, they felt that they were very safe. And when it first started, we really didn't have any cases until November. Um, that that was a concern of theirs, that it was impacting then the whole family. So some of our families decided to keep their students, you know, at home because they didn't want them quarantined. So I really think with DeWine's um, change of heart and his decision making, um, that that's going to help us in the schools as well. And he actually had studies done. He didn't just make it, you know, out of the air that now we don't have to quarantine those students as long as we're social distancing and mask to mask. Um, they actually picked a cohort of schools and followed them from August through December and found very few cases were actually um, passed on, you know, in the school system. And we actually can't come up with one that was passed on in the schools for Steubenville City Schools. They were either um, at after school events, home parties, um, through families, um, things like that. But as far as student to student during school time, and I have two of the principals on the line with us, we don't have one case to indicate that that has happened. And we're also still participating in sports as well. Well, that's kind of remarkable. So, um, because, I mean, even professional sports has, has had a problem, right? They've, and they've done enormous amounts of bubbling and, and uh, so forth, and, and yet they've had problems, but you have not had problems. We, the girls' basketball team was actually um, quarantined because um, a member had come down with COVID. So, um, Mr. Warman, what was that? Was that... The before Thanksgiving or after? Yeah, it was before, yeah, before Thanksgiving break. And actually that didn't spread, like I said, through the team, but we still had to quarantine the girls. The boys haven't been quarantined and neither has wrestling, correct? Correct. Wrestling. You're still wrestling. Yes, we're still wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm... We're, not, we're not exactly sure how that's going to be, but we actually are just going with the Ohio um, Athletic Association. You know, we, we follow their guidelines and their recommendations, but um, so far we haven't had any issues. And no. I know Mr. Gorman can speak more to the sports and, um, we've had discussions about cutting the sports out and, you know, just how important it is for the academics, but especially at those higher levels, um, sports and extracurricular activities are so important in keeping students engaged in school. And, and I, I would just, uh, just to jump on, on that comment, and, and again, we, we met as a staff, and again, we're, we're following the Ohio guidelines and really our, our local health department 
and making sure that these these uh, spaces again are being cleaned. Uh, we do allow uh, two parents to come into games. No other spectators are, are at any of our activities, so we're still trying to support that. We're live streaming all of our other games, so the the grandparents and the other people that you know wanted to see those uh, games, they're able to to log into uh, into a live streaming device and, and are able to watch that. And with us being across the bridge, really from West Virginia, now West Virginia has their governor has decided not to do anything with sports until March first. So we've had to revamp re, uh, our schedules. We've also had a, a number of times with other teams that are on our schedules, we've had to. Uh, reschedule them because of their quarantining and different things like that. So as far as an athlete, we have a new athletic director this year. He's really done an outstanding job, but this is not the year to become the athletic director. No, I was just thinking that like, this is not the year to become a superintendent or a principal or even a teacher (laughs) or even a student, right? I mean, this is, this is a tough year. Um, (laughs) um, Ms. Gorman, you're not only the principal of West Elementary, but you also oversee the elementary curriculum for the district. And I'm wondering how the Success for All curriculum has translated to the different formats. And, well, I have a follow-up question for Ms. Govey about that. Okay, so with Success for All, you know that it is a collaborative curriculum um, for students that requires a high level of student engagement with one another and then also with the teacher. So over the summer, we were really tasked with um, the challenge of how are we going to approach our reading and math curriculum without compromising the integrity um, of the program because we've had much student success um, with success for all. So we got our teachers together over the summer and um, with the administration to come up with a plan of integrating Google Classroom into the Success for All program, which had not been done before. Um, So it's a lot of content to try to put into Google Classroom. So teachers were divided by uh, grade levels and they worked together over the summer to create databases where teachers could go in. If I'm teaching a level 2.1, I could go into Google Classroom to that database, pull whatever I needed to pull for that particular story. That way, it was just a way to divide and conquer Um, so that we weren't expecting teachers to come back to school and having to recreate an entire curriculum integrating Google Classroom because we weren't sure how it was going to pan out um, teaching students five full days where we, you know, was the governor suddenly going to close us down again? We weren't sure, so we definitely wanted to be prepared. So that was one way, just the preparation um, for coming back to school. Once we were here, Um, We know that students working together in teams collaboratively and also in partnerships, an integral part of that program. So um, Mrs. Young, in her infinite wisdom, researched um, the use of plexiglass for all of uh, the desktops and the tabletops. So along with, you know, wearing masks, with um, social distancing, with promoting um, a schedule of hand washing throughout the day, especially for elementary students, and then also with the plexiglass, we were able to continue to have our students work together in partnerships and in teams to make sure that that program was um, being taught and instructed um, the way that it was intended to be and that our students were uh, achieving academic success. So one of, my que- one, of, one of the things I'm wondering about, Ms. Govey, is whether that curriculum helps you 
manage this kind of unmanageable operation, but having a standard curriculum that your colleagues share, that you collaborate on. Because one of the things I'm hearing from teachers around the country is I have to, you know, do lessons, videos all on my own and then do it again the next day and the next day and the next day. And there is very little sharing often among teachers, although sometimes I don't, I don't want to overstate that, but I, but I think it's a, it is one of the problems of kind of getting online is that there aren't these resources. And it sounds as if by collaborating with your colleagues, you're able to share the load. Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, everything, luckily, we're so lucky, you know, especially um, with using the Success for All. Um, I just go to my database and everything I need is right there. And that is because, you know, teachers work so hard this summer and administrators to get that on there for us. So, you know, we were able, that was like one less thing that I had to worry about. My colleagues had to worry about. And the same with the math. Um, you know, the math is also, it's so easy to pull it onto Google Classroom. The science, so easy to pull onto Google Classroom. So we already had those, those things in place. So it, it made it a lot easier for us. But um, as far as like sharing, I mean, we're always, my team, my third grade team, we're always looking at videos or um, on TikTok, you know, looking at ways to make it easier for us to get this information to our kids in meaningful ways. But, um, you know, having that access to the SFA material has been um, a total game changer for us and not spending so much time getting that content onto, you know, the platform for the online learners. So I'm able to do, you know, my job with the, with the students that are face-to-face and not spend so much time, you know, preparing and gathering. It's, it's basically a lot of it is already there for us, which we're very fortunate for that. And I would just add, I would just add something um, to what Mrs. Gobi is saying. I think that's what sets um, the culture in Steubenville City Schools apart from a lot of other districts is that we've already created a culture where our teachers do not work in isolation. They do work together. Um, Mrs. Gobi's one particular student is everyone's student. It doesn't matter if they're in the third grade or the first grade. Um, so that culture is kind of embedded um, into uh, into each of the buildings, so that the sharing of ideas and trying to keep the curriculum uh, consistent against the different, uh, you know, amongst the different levels, it's pretty important. And again, it, it was just second nature to to the staff now um, that we work in that fashion. I also want to give a shout out to our staff. I mean, they've just been incredible because we've probably gone through more change since March than I did in my entire career. Um, so quickly. I mean, and I really just have to give a shout out to them. They, they work so hard. They, um, we have over 60% are Google certified now. We went from a teacher who didn't know how to do an attachment on an email to she's level two, um, you know, Google certified. It's amazing some of the growth, but it's just their hard work and their commitment to our students in our district. 
Um, I just can't say enough, you know, about how hard they work because I know they're saying a lot of things were there for them, but they created most of the things themselves and they did share, but it was a tremendous amount of work and still is a tremendous amount of work, especially teaching in person and online. So, um, you know, teachers are really our unsung heroes and so are well, administrators. Uh, that's what—that's one of the reasons I'm doing this uh podcast, by the way, is because there's been so much talk about opening, not opening schools, teachers, all this stuff, but uh, very few people seem to be actually speaking to teachers and students and, and administrators, particularly administrators. Um, Ms. Metcalf, so, so, so Steubenville is a success for all district at the elementary and middle school, not at the high school. You're at the high school level. Um, so you don't have that common curriculum that to draw on. You have other things that you draw on. How how have the your head of English department? How have the English teachers collaborated in the you know, or have they collaborated in the same kind of way around a curriculum? Um, and and do you work with other departments on that? Well, first of all, I think rapport is a great thing when everyone gets along and. Um, I'm very lucky that our English department, we get along very well. We share information with each other. But we decided that we needed to, well, before this pandemic came up, it was the previous year, uh, we decided to start Google Classroom. So we started a year ahead. Um, So it was the beginning of last year. And um, just trying to get them involved in it, you know, I did a few things with them and kind of insisted, you know, let's get our uh, PDFs and different things online. I had, I've been doing online work for, I don't know, 15 years. I had my own website that I would use with students. But so I had most of my work already in a digital format. So I encouraged them to do it. And so they did. And we had, we were using that to help with students who were either sick and couldn't be in school. And lo and behold, when the pandemic hit, the English department was already equipped and we were reaching out to all of our students at that time. Um, We also decided to um, push ahead with um, the ACT, SAT preparation by engaging in a program called No Red Ink, which is it's, it's done digitally, but we incorporate that into our um, Google Classroom. So the students are working at a level, and now the data from the student that maybe is in another teacher's class will move over to, to the next teacher the next year, and we can see where they are, what their, what their problems might be, what their strengths might be, and can continue to work in, um, in that grammar program. Uh, which is titled No Red Ink. And so I think that was helpful with the English department uh, doing that. We also decided to get uh, a database that we would all, uh, for research, for research and writing. And so each of the English department incorporate that database. Um, And as far as working with other departments, for example, um, we read um, To Kill a Mockingbird earlier this year. And I wanted to make sure that the history department was dealing with around the same time era. 
So I talked to them before I decided to do the book at that time. So the students were clicking, knowing, oh, this is going on, you know, right after the Great Depression, you know. And so they knew what was happening as they were reading this novel. And so I think that uh, reaching across the different content areas is important for student learning. So uh, we, we, uh, we talked a little bit about this in the last conversation. The, um, what's being called the racial reckoning um, has, has caused students around the country to kind of say, you know what, we're not reading the stuff we should be reading. We're not learning the stuff we should be learning to really help us understand the country. Um, Gabriella, I see you're you're nodding. So <laughs> I want to get I want to get back to you. Have you changed your what books you're reading? Um, has the English department changed? Has the history department changed? Have 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 you started started reshaping, or did you not need to because you you feel you've already well, kind of? Um, one of my former students offered to um, she wanted to have some. Uh, literature, some books she wanted to purchase for the school uh, by Black authors. And I had, I thought, well, we have never read Toni Morrison's Beloved, and I thought that would be a good book to have. Um, and, and Toni Morrison, a few years back, even spoke at a, our local college, and I thought this would be a good book. Um, but then I found out that um, many of my other teachers in the other department didn't have the access to the digital uh, literature that I was already using. So I said, why don't you let them purchase the books for them and I'll stay with, like I had mentioned before, many of the um, novels that I had used were already online. And so uh, that was collaborating with them, but uh, we stayed with To Kill a Mockingbird and Mary and Gabriella were in my class. So uh, we had a diversity of students in the class, and I can't say it enough when there's great rapport between teacher and students, and you can open up and share each other's um, experiences and where they're coming from. Uh, it, it, well, just to quote from the novel, you know, to crawl into someone else's skin and walk around in it for a while was really important. And I think these students learned that during the class. So, Gabrielle, you were nodding when I said that students around the country were kind of demanding uh, a, a refresh on the books that they were reading. Do, uh, what was the nod about? What were you nodding? Um, because throughout my education, I mean, we always learned about racial injustice, but we never really got the full, like, weight of it until Mrs. Metcalf had us read To Kill a Mockingbird. And it really, like me personally, it blew my mind how like the story was wrote in the 1960s and it was based about the Great Depression and how some of the inequalities are still around today. It just, my mind and a lot of my other students as well, it just like really opened our eyes to like what is going on in the world and how we need to change um, Mary, did you have the same feeling, or um, what? Did you find it mind blowing, or did you think, eh, you know, maybe we should move on? No, 
I definitely think we should learn more about it and that we have been learning more about it because it is important um, thing to learn from history and to grow. And if we don't, if we don't talk about it enough, it won't like, we won't grow from it. So we have to like learn about it more. And I definitely do feel that To Kill a Mockingbird has helped us learn about it more. At least I feel my class learned about it more. And it just showed how deeply rooted like racial injustice can be in a society. Because even though everybody was suffering because of the Great Depression in the book, there were still racial injustices that were happening and nobody thought anything of it. Yeah. At and the time. Of, uh, one of the, I was just reading something that, that said, and then, and then we all found out that Atticus Finch really was part of the white council also um, in, in uh, Harper Collins's new, new book that was released after her death. Uh, so that was a shock for everybody. <laughs> so, um, so, so, have you, so you haven't really revamped your curriculum. You you feel it's reflective enough. Well, depending on what course that you know is being taught, um, right now um, this is a second day in a British literature class, and so you know uh, that doesn't really lend to some things that are happening in America. Um, but in the American literature class, I think it's important. I decided to pull out another novel that I taught for about 15 years and then I set it aside for a while, um, The Scarlet Letter, and um, we brought that out again. But I mean, we can go through all types of literature where we see injustices or people who get power and, um, and overstep their authority with people, even reading the Greek plays that we've read. So um, I think it's how it's delivered uh, and what points you want to bring out. Um, I do want to mention that with To Kill a Mockingbird, I thought it was really important when the students would talk about the things that were happening in their lives that were relative to the novel and to see, to find some way uh, to close that gap, to, to have respect for each other and to close that gap. So I, I, since I have senior students um, I, in, in, my, in my sites here, I do want to ask um, about Success for All. Did you both go through Steubenville City Schools right from the beginning? I did, yes. I didn't. Ah, when did you join Steubenville? I joined at seventh grade. I used to live in Connecticut, so I came to... Uh, to Ohio, and then I joined seventh grade at um, Harding Middle School, and then I've been with the schools ever since. Well, so maybe you can compare and contrast, uh, which I always <laughs> like I'd like to hear. How, how was your experience coming to Steubenville from Connecticut? I would definitely say Steubenville had more of like a foundation for students to grow better I wouldn't say I was the best student when I was in Connecticut, um, but I definitely feel when I came to Steubenville, I started to get more of like a building block for me to grow off of. And especially getting into like, I feel classes that helped me be prepared for my future 
and then getting into like honors programs and stuff that was going to help me later on in my life, you know? So I definitely feel that I've had a better experience in Steubenville and Steubenville city schools than in Connecticut. Okay. Well, thank you. That uh, I'm sure everybody, all the, uh, all the teachers and administrators are just feeling very good about what you just said. Um, Gabriella, uh, you're, you came up through the system, um, and so you had more of a success for all experience. I think, Mary, you probably were just at the beginning of when the middle school was adopting success for all. Um, did you feel it was an engaging curriculum, that you learned a lot, Absolutely. Yeah. I think that definitely in elementary school, they always taught us how important critical thinking was. And they always embedded that with everything that we were learning and like stories that we would like do. The teachers would give us real life examples of what was going on. And then they would just carry that on throughout my years of elementary school. And then by the time I went to middle school, I knew I was fully prepared for that. And then by the time I was in high school, going through all the success for all I was perfectly ready to like go through my high school and now I feel like I'm perfectly ready for college because of the education that I've gotten here. And what is your plan for next year? We may be out of pandemic land, let's hope. I hope we're out of pandemic land, yeah. <laughs> um, I haven't made a decision on where I'm going to college yet, but I know I'm going to major in biology. So it's just deciding where I'm going and then going from there. Hopefully that I actually get to go live on the campus instead of staying at home and doing everything online because learning online for me is just so hard. I'd much rather be in class because I hate having that electronical barrier. I'd much rather be with my teachers. And how about you, Mary? What are you doing next year? Do you know? Well, I'm also majoring in biology. Uh, I haven't chosen a school as well. I'm still deciding. Um, but I plan to hopefully be able to go to college and get a college experience and, you know, not have it online because I want to be able to go into dorms and like meet new people and experience the thing that, you know, everybody says college is one of the best times of like your life. So I want to experience that as best as I can without the pandemic, like in the way. Yeah. My nephew had his freshman year at college uh, this year. I think it was pretty miserable. But um, <laughs> so so um, I have promised not to keep you all too long. Um, Ms. Young, I do wonder, with the case counts rising, do you have a, do you have a backup plan in case you have to close again? Um, we can go remote. We feel that we're prepared much more than we were prepared in March to go remote. Um, like I said, we have 60% of the teachers are now Google certified level one and another 30% um, level two. Um, the majority of our teachers do go live now. I think it's about 85% are going live. Um, so we can do it if we have to, but um, our belief and our board's belief is if we can meet in person, if we can go face-to-face, -face, we want to continue to go face-to-face -face 
for as long as we can. We just feel like the two girls who we've been talking to, that's where we do best is our face-to-face education. But um, we can go online. We have hotspots for students who don't have access to the internet. And um, we have enough, actually, we have more computers than we need, which is kind of crazy during this time. But we actually had a tech person that started ordering in March. So we have all of the computers we definitely need. Well, and uh, if people go online, they can see uh, you. You sent uh, Ms. Gorman sent me pictures of the ple- plexiglass mm-hmm. um, uh, that are between yeah. the desks, and that seems to. I, I don't know how you got all that stuff in place in such a, a relatively short time. We just have great people that work for the school district. Even putting the plexiglass together, we had teams of people because it actually came not together. You had to snap it together, and it seems like that would be something easy, but trust me, it wasn't easy. We had people working at the board office till 9 and 10 o'clock at night snapping it together. So we just have a great culture. I'm very fortunate to be a superintendent in this school district where we have so many people in the community and inside that care. And, you know, um, one thing I'll just always remember is how hard they all work to get kids back to school. And really, it was a team effort. Well, one of the one of the things I worry about is I talk to what I consider some of the most uh, effective, thoughtful people in the country, uh, educators in the country. And not everybody has the kind of collaborative culture that permits this kind of teamwork and collaboration. So I, in some ways, I feel like I'm giving a false um, picture of American education. But, but um, as, you, as you know, Ms. Young, you and I have been talking now for nigh on 15 years, I think. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and um, my basic idea has been find people who know what they're doing, learn from them so that the rest of the field can learn from them. And so that's what I'm hoping uh, this, this podcast can do. And I really appreciate your taking the time to, uh, on a school day, to talk with me and to talk with the rest of the field. Thank you so much. Thank you for, for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Thanks. All right. Thank you. So that wraps up this episode of the Education Trust podcast, Extraordinary Districts in Extraordinary Times. If you'd like to learn more about Steubenville, I hope you'll listen to episode three of season one of Extraordinary Districts, which has a full-length profile, including a lengthy explanation of success for all. I also have a chapter on Steubenville in my forthcoming book, Districts That Succeed, which Harvard Education Press will publish in April. If you have suggestions for what you would like to hear about in this podcast, you can email districts at edtrust.org or tweet at edtrust or me at Karen Chenoweth, that's K-A-R-I-N-C-H-E-N-O-W-E-T-H, or Tangi at remarsh76. Mike Patillo records and edits this podcast through the magic of Zoom from Tonal Park. I want to thank everyone at EdTrust who supports this podcast, and thank you to the Wallace Foundation for providing financial support. Thanks, 
and see you next time.